we have two guests today. It has been a while since we've had a double. Mm-hmm. We have the great senior editor. Senior staff writer. writer whatever. The He's basketball the dude, guru. The NBA dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin O'Connor. It might be interesting to listen to the first time he was on our podcast. This is 2018, 2019. And he just so happened to be in the... We, we share the same studio. And Corey was like, Kevin O'Connor's here. And I was like, oh. Now he's on the show. Now he's on the show. Um, but fair warning, we're going to get in-depth uh, about basketball. Um, yes, the Denver Nuggets just won. But we're going to talk about Nikola Jokic, uh, the, the center, the arguably the best player in the world right now. Uh, and again, if you are one of those individuals, oh, I don't give a shit about sports. I was like, well, you should in the sense that it should give you hope for different things in culture. And that's why I feel like it's so amazing. It is it, like on the level of Eminem or even more ridiculous. <laughs> it was like, you could, if you wanted to, if we wanted to be like BuzzFeed or uh, Daily Mail or mm-hmm. some other thing where it's like, Nikola Jokic, the Vincent Van Gogh <laughs> Jesus. of the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We you know, some, something ridiculous, but you know, the fact that you would have to come up with something ridiculous like that to sort of describe what is happening. Yeah. It tells you how special you know, the moment is. How special is. it is. Then we're going to get in a conversation with. Uh, Ying's old boss, Andrew Leland, author of a new memoir uh, called "The Country of the Blind" about losing his sight. We make some proclamations and predictions about some awards that this book will have to win if we're going to talk to Andrew ever again. And stay tuned for some hard-hitting questions that we ask Andrew. Extremely hard, extremely hard, and borderline inappropriate. But uh, he was game. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. You're listening to The Dave Chang Show, uh, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Donor Media. So uh, Ying and I were walking into the studio and Corey was like, hey, Kevin O'Connor's here. I was like, let's let's have him be part of... You know, the top <laughs> top third of the podcast. Last time you were on, we were talking about trends, right? Uh, were there other parts of culture where we could peek into to get a better understanding where food might be going? And with the NBA just concluded, and you've been on the joke, Joker bandwagon from like 
How early on did you know? And for those that don't know, the Denver Nuggets won. This is not a timely podcast. We're not going to talk about the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's something that we can speak about and, and relate it to not just food, but culture in general. And Nikola Jokic had one of the greatest postseasons, maybe the greatest yeah. postseason ever, and won finals MVP. And there's been a lot of now, oh my God, this guy's amazing talk because he's won two, yeah. two MVPs. But he was a 42nd draft pick in the second round. In 2015 or six, uh, 2014, he wow. went 41 during a Taco Bell commercial. ESPN broadcast didn't even didn't it's even show good. the pick. Too good. <laughs> it's too good. I want the fact that you're here is is very um, fortuitous because who better to speak about his greatness than you? Why did everyone miss him? Because he went in a draft where you had Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, a bunch of other stars. Why did he drop to 42? So he he dropped the second round. So that year I had him, I think, at 28 on my board and like, you know, borderline first rounder. Overseas, he was, you know, he didn't have good conditioning. He he, he was overweight. And he even said after winning finals MVP, uh, like, don't count out the fat guy or something along those lines. <laughs> I, and, I cried. <laughs> you it to your like, finally seen. Yes. <laughs> Representation <laughs> forever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, um, he, he just, he improved his conditioning over the years. And that was the number one concern with him. Is this guy athletic enough to compete on in the NBA where the best athletes in the world play? That was the number one concern with him. I think skills wise, people saw what he could do as a passer and could, could potentially be as a scorer, but nobody knew that he would turn into the hall of fame talent that he is on offense. Never mind somebody that could actually survive and compete. On defense, I think it's a t- testament to his work ethic over the years more than anything to become what he is now. But there's been a bunch of seven foot dudes that have not been in great shape. You know, mm-hmm. we we just did a theoretical dinner guest party, and I invited John Hot Plate Williams <laughs> to my table because he has the best nickname I think of all time. But you know, you you have a lot of big boys that aren't seen as athletic. Yeah. Why is he different than everyone else? Uh, I mean, I think with him, like he's. He's different in the sense that he doesn't do it the way a lot of other guys do. Like Shaq, it was, you know, overpowering people with great power and force and athleticism. Uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo, it is the the sheer speed and athleticism that he has. And like, But with Jokic, it's not about athleticism. It's about feel and skill and kind of like micro-athleticism where he just has the most amazing hand-eye coordination. He knows how to feel the way a defender is positioned and to count and to just be in the flow and play the way he needs to rather than having like these predetermined moves. That's like one of the things with Joel Embiid, who has improved dramatically. He's just won an MVP, but sometimes some of his moves are more like the stuff that you practice in the gym. Certain ball handling moves, pull-ups, sidestep jumpers and all that. With Jokic, it's everything is improvisational on the floor. Everything he does. Like remember the shot he had against AD multiple times in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers where he's just hoist up this kind of one-legged fadeaway jumper. Uh, the he, for him everything's normal because it, it, nothing's practiced. It's just natural to him. Um so I think with him it's not about speed or athleticism. It's more just about just this just this amazing level of feel um that nobody else can have or you can never learn. 
so there was also this moment. So so for for a more casual <laughs> sports fans, there was also like this moment. Like he didn't he didn't well, take off immediately, right? No, they for, need to smarten up. Is basically <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Kevin O'Connor's but the, podcast. But then they started building. They were, there was that article that just came out, right? Where they decided, you know what? We're just going to build around him. Yeah. We're not doing well. Now we're going to build. Every play is going to run through him. So I guess the question that Dave and I have been asking really is, is Jokic just a one-off complete anomaly? Or are there, does it speak to something else where there's a lot of players throughout history that are overlooked because of, I mean, look at you, look at Jokic and you're like, that's not a, athlete that's I mean, could have been Greg Oster time he's just, right? like, <laughs> he's just yes, like a guy yes. who wrestles bears and drinks like <laughs> gallons of beer like that's just a, a, a monster is there something else there is it like is he fully anomalous or is it people are getting overlooked and not being put into systems where they might work out I, I mean it's it's an interesting question because like how many guys who might be you know not maybe not even seven feet tall but you know a six foot seven player who might not be the best athlete and they decide yeah you know what I'll be a offensive lineman mm-hmm. I'll play a left tackle for my high school football team I'm not a basketball guy but the thing is is Jokic is an outlier in the sense that his hand-eye coordination is just otherworldly and so I think if you have someone who maybe isn't an elite athlete like which he is not someone who's not an elite athlete who might not have the best conditioning at a young age but if they have this outlier feel and hand-eye coordination like I interviewed him back in I think um 2017-18 season, something like that, like his third, fourth year in the league. And and I asked him, like, do you do you practice some of these passes that you make? Like, hey, is this something that you train throughout your life? And he's like, no. Ever since I've been, you know, a young kid, I just look at something and I throw it and it goes where I want it to. <laughs> and so I think that's true with his passing, but also his shooting when we talk about the shot, like that he hit over AD and some of the stuff, the outrageous shots that he hits where he just kind of hoists that, you know, big moon shot up, uh, you know, to the rim and it just happens to fall in. That, that's that's like outlier ability that, mm-hmm. you know, few ever have ever have had or will have. I have so many. I'm, I love this moment, right? I, I, I should be a Miami Heat guy, but I was rooting for Denver simply because of the anomaly that is yes. Joker, right? And I'm exactly like this fan that Bill Simmons talks about. Don't watch Denver Nuggets games, but when you do, I went to that game with them. I was like, holy shit, this guy's a, like, I've never seen him in person. It's unreal. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking as to like this entire process. Now he's one, and clearly two MVPs in, in a row, should have been three, is unbelievable in, in, in and of itself. But is there anything like this in culture that's happened where someone is so sort of underappreciated? even though they're doing something amazing. As we've never seen it in sport. Definitely not in the NBA, ever, right? You've had players that are really good. Granted, he was great. He still got drafted. A lot of undrafted yeah. people. But if you look at what's happened in his contemporaries, I, it's, it's remarkable. Maybe it's like Tom Brady, but it's not really like the same kind of thing where somebody slips and then has this remarkable run that ultimately changes the game. Right? Like, yeah. ha- have you seen anything like that before? Well, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, you go in the 40s and, like, you, you'll be fortunate to have, like, a, a solid playing career mm-hmm. where, where, you know, you become a role player, play seven, eight, you know, years in the league, maybe, you know, have some playoff runs as, a, as the seventh, ninth mm-hmm. guy off the bench, something like that. But to be someone who has changed the game. And with Jokic, I think that's where the real influence is. Yes. He may have outlier skills that few do with his hand-eye coordination and the feel and the touch and all that type of stuff. But also the way the Nuggets have utilized him, 
Like the, you, you watch the Nuggets play. He plays sometimes like a guard would bring the ball up the floor, being the point guard organizing the offense. Sometimes they have him going through screens, which means like he doesn't have the ball in his hands, but another player puts their body in front of his defender to get him opened. Never mind all the traditional big man stuff that he does. Like we've seen anybody who's watched basketball over the years, the post stuff, you know, being closer to the basket. He's used in all these different types of ways, despite being seven feet, you know, kind of flubby and not necessarily, you he's know, handsome. Yeah. I, I think he's, handsome. he's a great looking guy. He's a great looking. We don't do it, maybe no talent, but he's a handsome motherfucker. That, that I know. Are, you still, are you still so maybe slightly less now that he's won now that he yeah. has that pedigree? He's a champion. Yeah. Aren't you still seeing or even up to this moment where he won the thing where people still don't want to they believe doubt it, it, right? Like yeah. Chang just said two times should have been three times. There was this huge mm-hmm. groundswell of like, we can't let this guy win three in a row because that ridiculous. puts him in elite yeah. co- company. Yeah. And the guy's clearly not elite, even though he has all the numbers to prove it. Like, this is what we were talking about with, like, restaurants and things. I can't believe that this restaurant, I could never say this restaurant's the best yeah. because it doesn't have the appearance, right? And with Jokic, I remember saying to my friends within the last few months, like, I don't care about seeing him. He's just like a schlubby, why do I want to see that? <laughs> like, and thinking they would agree with me. Mm-hmm. And my friends who actually watch basketball were like, are you fucking stupid or yeah. something? <laughs> like, it's the best, it's the most fun you can have so, watching. So this happens in the restaurant world where potential like awards for restaurant of the year or Michelin star, that type of stuff. And they won't be rewarded again because you don't want a free time or something like that. Yeah. And, and which is why for those that are listening, like, oh, I don't want to care about sports. Well, I mean, you should because there's a lot of patterns yeah. here. I think it tells me that we're still beholden to antiquated ways of understanding the world mm-hmm. across the board, whether it's sports or food, et cetera. And that there's greatness. Everywhere, you just have to look for it right and cultivate it right. So when I think about Jokic, I, for a restaurant, maybe maybe it's not the best restaurant in the world is never going to be fancy through Mission Stars, top 50 ranking, and have all the bells and whistles. Maybe it is that taco truck. <laughs> yeah. Because all that matters is like, is it delicious and do you win, right? How you get there, there's a lot of different ways. But Maybe this is so important to me because it's like, oh, this is a, a, a call to reassess everything, right? Because I'm also like, maybe if he was 20% faster, 20% more, <laughs> uh, actually had like a 35-inch vertical instead of the vertical, I think I can jump higher than <laughs> I think you can too. We would, we, we all be pretty close. See, I mean, at the least, we'd be like it's similar. It's about an inch off the ground. It's like in this in this pod entirely about respecting Joker. We're also disrespecting him so much. It's amazing. One inch vertical. You know, it's it's because he was limited in the traditional sense. Yeah. If he had. More talent in those areas, do you think he becomes the player he is today? Mm. Right? And part of it is my working theory that, and I see this in other facets and maybe even myself. If you start to embrace the things that you're not good at and just accept them Mm -hmm. to be, maybe they become stepping stones to true talent that no one else has. And in a world where if you look at his draft class, Andrew Wiggins is a physical freak. He, you know, knock on Andrew Wiggins. I mean, great year last year, but he should have been like 
on the level of Steph Curry. Like that's people like, call him Maple Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> Maple that was his Green. nickname. Good, good nickname. Really good. Really. good. Um, <laughs> doesn't work anymore though. <laughs> <laughs> Genetic freak. Like yeah. faster jumps, higher. I think he has like the one of the highest verticals. But when you start looking at everyone else in the NBA, maybe they can jump a little bit higher. They're all fast. And I, I got thinking, maybe what separates Joker and uh, hopefully other people, not in basketball per se, is, is speed and the traditional ways of measuring talent been commoditized because everyone, not everybody, you still have to be one of the very, very few freaks of nature yeah. to be an NBA player. But when you get there, everyone says how fast it is and how talented everyone is. Maybe that's actually what you shouldn't be celebrating. And we are missing out on all the, the things that are left of center. I think, I think along those same lines, it's also the type of thing where like, what is the traditional meaning of athleticism? You know, like you're talking about Andrew Wiggins as a leaper or about speed and the open floor and being able to move fast. With Jokic, maybe athleticism, we need to redefine what it is. And it's not just those traditional ways of being athletic, but it's also about when you're when he's defending in the paint and he's moving quickly in small spaces. How quickly can he flip his hips? How quickly does his mind read the floor? Um, like athleticism can be more than just the traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. And and maybe with Jokic, like you said, you know, if he were more athletic, would he have some of these other skills? Um who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have developed in ways that he had to in order to reach this level. And it got because this is something I've thought about a lot, especially when I judge talent in a kitchen. And I, there have been a whole host of cooks that were superior to me. And I've looked at them and like, holy cow, I'm never going to be better than them. But they never progressed because they were too talented. Mm. If you're so talented at something, you never have to learn to think about it. But at some point, you're going to be matched against people that are all talented, and you better learn to think yeah. about it uh, and have empathy. And I keep on thinking that maybe talent in the NBA, like it is in the kitchen and maybe other places, isn't a, oh, it's not necessarily a bad thing at all. I'd rather have talent than not. But I think more and more I'm seeing if you are very talented at something, it's more of an indicator that you may not be awesome. <laughs> Interesting. So, so like, do you, do you find like with certain people, maybe they just plateau in that sense, yeah. you know, in the kitchen or like they may in the league. It happens just, a lot. Yeah. Same thing in basketball. Mm-hmm. R- rarely you're going to get the LeBrons, the, yeah. you know, sure. they're, they're, the Wembys. These the, are going to be the no complacency types where right. they just, they're never, they're never satisfied with getting better. Gifted beyond belief and also matched with a work ethic that will yeah. never stop. But again, we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, ones in a generational things and so is joker but that's all i wanted to talk about really is you're here it was good timing (laughs) because i want people to understand that i think this is such a monumental achievement that transcends sports and you can really apply this to whatever craft you're in for sure because it doesn't make sense you know it's almost why everyone was rooting for that um that Giants backup quarterback behind Manning. Remember, he was like 6'6", 350 pounds. Oh, yeah, Jared. Yeah. Yeah. The O last name. I forget yeah. his last name. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. People were rooting for him because you want people to break the mold yeah. to some degree. And here you have it. And I don't know. It's like it, it's hard to come up with somebody that has done this. 
So it, it's beautiful to watch, really. I mean, like it's it's like you don't see players like this come around all that often. And it's always nice to see someone be a mold breaker. And with him, I hope, you know, ratings were high with the finals this year. I hope there's people that are watching saying, hey, he's doing something in a different way than the traditional superstar, the traditional finals MVP. Maybe I can do this in my own way, in my own field, whatever their interests are. It definitely is applicable. Are there other players that you've witnessed that are that have the moniker not athletic but are awesome? Like Draymond comes to mind. That's right? a great one. Draymond's a perfect example. Yeah, like Draymond, like he he's like six foot, you know, five, six foot six. I don't know what he's actually listed at, but um, like smaller guy comes into the league. He's a second round pick. They say, well, is he big enough to be a, a forward or a center? Well, he's he's not he's not lean enough to be a wing, and he gets drafted by the Warriors, and they put him in a position where he's a backup. But then his starter gets hurt. David Lee, the guy who's playing ahead of him, who was a more traditional type of big man at the time, and an all star. Yeah, he was an all star at one point, and and then Draymond slides in, and they just let Draymond be Draymond, uh, this guy who is without a position. And sometimes I think that's what about is about is like instead of fitting you know a square peg into a round pole you know round hole it's just about hey letting this person or this player be who they are naturally and then you kind of fit the system around them with the other pieces that you have and Draymond like in the Warriors a perfect situation that's the other part of it though too it's situation and opportunity if he gets drafted by another team they might say hey we want you to drop 30 pounds and you're going to play the two for us you're going to play a shooting guard or some other teams might have said we need you to put on 25, 30 pounds, and you're going to be a center for us. Maybe his career goes dramatically differently, but the Warriors embraced who he was. The, the Nuggets were willing to be patient with Jokic and develop him. And, and I think like the situation and opportunity is the, the other side of it here where these guys fell into perfect situations for them to be who they are and develop and who, to who they are today. So you can say, you say that he's the best Basketball player in the world today. Yeah, I do. And that I was someone before the season. I said Giannis Antetokounmpo mid-season. You know, with my Ringer coworkers, I argued we got to wait till the playoffs to say it's Jokic is the best player in the world. But without a doubt, Nikola Jokic has proven he's the best player in the world. That's amazing, and I I, I love it because it gives hope to anybody doing mm-hmm. anything. It was like you could really be the best ever at your position, or not ever in current times. That's yep. an amazing mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I will be the best player in the NBA next season. Just, <laughs> I'm going to one up this yoga. And story. I will be the best chef. <laughs> KOC, thank you, man. We're honored. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. We have a guest, Dave. Welcome. My hey, my thanks. my old friend Andrew Leland. Hey. 
author. I'm so sorry, Andrew, that you've had to know Chris Ying for as long as you've known him. It's been almost a lifelong struggle for me, but I'm (laughs) getting through it. Andrew is an author, a podcaster. Uh, He has a forthcoming memoir called The Country of the Blind, a memoir at the end of sight. Did I get that right, Andrew? You did. Perfect. And he once, many, 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 many years ago, hired me as an intern at McSweeney's. And then you became overlord. (laughs) How did that happen? It was a violent uprising, I think. I mean, yeah. Do you remember Baby Ying? What was that like, Andrew? Uh, You were very... I don't want to say eager to please because that sounds like you're, to- you know, like a toady or something. But you were like, you had your eyes on the prize. You know, you were like focused. You were bringing your A game every five days a week. You were, you know, you were there to help and your help went above and beyond. So you basically were saying he was annoying, incredibly annoying. <laughs> no, he would save my ass like on a weekly. It was amazing. I, you know, the other interns would come in and just be like, hey, man, did you watch that TV show? And I'd be like, great, hang on. And Chris would be like, Andrew, I fact checked this and found 13 errors. Let me know if. <laughs> What format you would like the errors in? Wait, like, great. D- Dave just asked, "Was I annoying?" And then you gave a more lengthy description of an annoying person. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> unless, exactly your job, I mean. <laughs> unless your job is to put out a magazine, in which case, what I mean by annoying, annoying isn't it for your perspective? It's for the other I interns see. to be like, "God, fucking Chris!" Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we're watching a show about our office. Chris would be annoying, but if you're in my <laughs> position, he's a delight. <laughs> If I don't work for you, I'm annoying, basically. Yeah. I think Dave <laughs> has that same experience. Uh, Not a bad quality. But Andrew, you're, you've, got a, you've got a memoir coming out in a month's time. Yeah. Why don't, you not, why don't you not have us butcher the setup and talk to us about what the book is? Well, yeah, because I feel like when this is coming out, it will be out, right? Yeah, something like that. Of course, out to be out. Um, you want me to tell you what the book is? Well, tell the listeners. I know what it is. Summarize your oh, life okay. in two sentences. <laughs> the book is a memoir, but I tried really hard not to only write about myself because I think I'm not especially interesting. Uh, so I have a degenerative retinal disease called retinitis pigmentosa. And the funny thing about it is it's incredibly slow. So unlike a lot of people who go blind suddenly, or, you know, go blind super young, I'm, I was diagnosed as a teenager. And then really it's been this like very gradual slow drip for 20 years. And I just in the last five to 10 years, it's it's kind of intruded into my daily life more, you know, for the longest time, like when I met you, Chris, I remember, like, I would wear headphones in the office, because it was a very noisy office. And then I remember you would often be the guy I think just because of the layout, you'd be like, he can't see you, you know, because like an intern would come up and stand next to my desk and just stand there and be like, excuse me. And then, you know, you'd be like, you can't see you. You got to tap him on the shoulder. You know, so like it was little things like that, but that's not being blind, right? That's just like a weird quirk. But really the last five, five, 10 years, you know, I stopped driving about, about 15 years ago, gave away my bike, you know, maybe about 12 years ago, and then started like just kicking dogs that I didn't see, you know, or toddlers, knocking them down in cafes. And so then like the white cane came out. Um, and once the white cane came out, that was that was a transformative thing for me. And then I started being treated like a blind person and it was really annoying and upsetting, but also very quickly became fascinating and it opened up this whole world to me. And then that's when I started thinking about writing and actually started writing. Uh, And so the book is really a chronicle of that experience of vision loss, but also this journey I took to figure out what is blindness? Who are the blind people who are now my blind comrades? 
you know, what's the history of blindness? And so the book is a memoir, but it's also like a nonfiction exploration of that world. And so what, what how old were you when you actually got the, the you were, when you got 19. diagnosed? 19. Yeah. And just so it's clear, retinitis pigmentosa, no quote unquote cure. And no. sort of an inevitable decline to, you're, you're now legally blind. The yeah. state has yeah. deemed it so. Yep. Yeah, Massachusetts gave me the official nod. Um, low vision is something, is a category that is a useful one. Honestly, lately I have been begun to be more comfortable calling myself blind, even though I can see that you are wearing some kind of a black plunging V-neck shirt. <laughs> uh, Andrew, because, so is, is your vision yeah. right now, like right now I have terrible eyesight without mm. context and I'm, mm-hmm. I cannot see anything without it. I, like <laughs> if, yeah. if I don't have my glasses next to me every day, yeah. which I never do, it's always in a separate place near my bedroom or my bathroom. I can't see it. It could be right mm-hmm. in front of me. I can't see it. My yeah. wife is always like, what's your problem? Man? Yeah. 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 Is that sort of what, what your vision looks like? I'm just trying to without empathize. Glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about blindness is, and the way that they measure legal blindness is it, it's, it can't be correctable, right? So like what I've got, even with glasses, and, and there's two ways to define legal blindness. So the two ways that the government defines it. One is acuity. So like if you can't see that giant E at the top of the eye chart, you're legally blind if you can't read it. The other one, which is my version, is how big your visual field is. So like in the center of my visual field, it's not bad. Like I can see Chris is just beautiful. Like, you know, what is that, Abercrombie, Chris? Or, I don't know. Uh, but it's tiny. It's like looking through a toilet paper tube. And so effectively, that means I'm blind because if I'm walking down the street, I'm going to be able to see maybe like if I know where to look the sign of the street. But, you know, along the way, I'm going to fall into a manhole, kick a dog, et cetera. So it's not really like, you know, what you're talking about without your glasses, I think, is more about acuity. And there are a lot of blind people who have low acuity like that. And that's where I'm headed. But right now, for me, it's more just about a tiny, tiny visual field. You just said something really interesting, and, and I think it will get to sort of like the meat of what we should talk about. Because we, the show, we talk about empathy a lot and sort of like putting yourselves mm. in, in other people's shoes. And I think a lot of your book is is strangely about empathizing with a future version of yourself. When you mm. have lost more of your vision, what is that person's life going to be like? Mm. But I remember when, you know, I think in the book you say, you know, you first started kind of feeling like you were losing your vision or having trouble seeing when you were very young and your mom you know, didn't quite recognize what it was at the time. You thought maybe it was just like too many psychedelics in the deserts of New Mexico type of right. thing. Yeah. When you and I met, you kind of downplayed it a lot. You know, my, 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 my clearest memory is we'd be in a dark bar and you would just, you would bump into a table and then loudly apologize to the table. I'm not sure if it was a table or a human. And, you know, I were think- you on a, were you tripping your balls off? <laughs> Talking to a table? Because I've been there. <laughs> I mean, it was both, right? Yeah. Both and. And then, you know, you just said, like, I'm becoming more comfortable with, like, calling myself blind. Like, yeah. can you just, like, walk us through a little bit of that of that journey from what is this thing to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, this disease in particular, like, a friend of mine who has a version of it said that it's, like, the most potent denial machine. And, like, people who are going blind, the first reaction tends to be denial. And I think I certainly was in denial for a while. And it's understandable why you would be in denial. But the thing that I've realized doing this research and just living through it is that that denial, as is the case probably with most instances of denial, is it's like it's a, it'll just screw you over. Because if you're in denial, you're not going to figure out how to be a blind person. And so there are these blind people who are like, I'm not blind. 
they don't use a cane. You know, they're out on a job interview and they like dump a gazpacho on their, you know, potential employer's head or, you know, it's like total slapstick, but it's real. Right. Or they like, you know, bust their shin open or they like try to read the document they have to read, but it takes them like seven times as long as it would, because they're just like, you know, straining. And then their eyes, you know, eye fatigue is a real thing. So like the, the deeper I got into this world, the more I realized that like, maybe there's like a Friday night light style, like, you know, get in there, buddy, like you can do this. But the reality is like, I just as a survival thing, like I had to accept my blindness because if I'm going to write a book, I had to figure out how to do it so that I could work for more than an hour or two a day before my eyes burned out if I'm trying to do it visually, you know, so I learned to use a screen reader and listen to my computer and, you know, same thing, like getting around town. I don't want to be like, you go on ahead, guys, like have fun. I'm, it's dark out now though. So my, my vision's worse, you know, so it, it became a real survival mechanism. Hmm. With your condition, is it going to get to the point where it, the, the field of vision becomes nothing and you can't see anything? Most likely. Yeah. I mean, my doctor is like real cagey about when exactly that will happen, but the reality is that it's degenerative and there's not a cure. And so, yeah. And, and the way it works is like there's rods and cones in your retina. Um, the rods are what give you peripheral vision and night vision and the cones are and they're in the, the outer part of the retina. And then the, the cones are central vision and color vision. And so my rods are dying first. So that's why it's like this, you know, gradually narrowing tunnel. And that's why I, I had such bad night blindness when I was in that bar with Chris, you know, in, in San Francisco, it was so much worse than it was in, in daylight. But, uh, but yeah, like eventually the retina just gets into become this toxic soup and then the cones start to go too. So then like super late stage RP central vision starts to go too. And I don't know if that's going to be in five years and 20 years, you know, but the reality is that this is sort of what I was saying, like, I kind of have to, let, it's, it's impossible, but I have to let go of obsessing over when that's going to be and just kind of accept like a, like one of my blind mentors told me, like, you might be going blind for a really long time. You might be more blind or less blind, but at a certain point, you just got to be like, I'm blind and move on. And so I'm really like kind of at that inflection point right now where like, I feel like an imposter kind of, cause I'm like, I'm blind. And yet that's a beautiful looking baby you got there, you know, <laughs> but the, the reality is like, I may be blind, but your baby is very cute. Yeah. Yeah. But like the reality is like, the survival mechanism, like I have to be able to accept it in order to to move on and like learn all the skills I need to to live my life as a blind guy. It's like one of your superpowers, Chang, is like the opposite of so, so when he's talking about denial and, and and like this condition being sort of like the 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 greatest denial machine, like that's me too. Like I'm not losing my hair. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine this week. It looks good. I'm fine. It's not what do I what was I worried about last week? I feel like you're the opposite where you're like any inkling of something is instantly true. <laughs> you're just like, this is true. I have to now wrestle with the consequences. Am I getting that wrong about you? Well, I mean, I just think that's what being a hypochondriac is. <laughs> I just defined a hypochondriac in a different way. I like to say I'm a health nut, but <laughs> no, I, I just accept certain things in general, mm -hmm. you know, because I accept that because I'm trying to find a way to beat it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just accept it so I can move on. But also partly, maybe there's an angle that is not being thought about. Yeah, which is, like, which is I think, like, another thing that stood out to us throughout the book, Andrew, is, is, is so much of, so much of the book, when it's not just about your necessarily personal experience, it's about just, like, the perception of blindness. 
are there moments where you have 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 sort of gotten gotten what Dave is where it's like now I know what this is and now I can see not silver linings but like judo move it to what are what are the ways in which this is a strength what are ways in which like this opens my eyes to other things or or ways of I mean I'm mangling this metaphor of, of seeing no it's cool yeah visual metaphors are fine with me <laughs> Uh, it's funny because I feel like there's a lot of people in my life, both intimate friends and family and strangers who kind of have this attitude, like you're finding all these like cool superpowers of blindness, but like for real, when you're being honest, like you're really scared and sad. Right. And it's annoying to me. And because part of me thinks like, you know, get out of here. Like I am finding these awesome things. But the reality is of course that like I am sad and scared, but then there's also the superpowers and it's both at the same time, not superpowers, but like, real like vistas and new landscapes of experience and uh, just ideas that I feel like have enriched my life uh, and been like new, you know, like I feel like it's, I really became a writer when I started thinking about blindness. Like before that I was an editor, I was maybe a producer, but like this really has given me access to a whole new creative toolbox in a way. I mean, so that's, 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 that's one thing is just like, it feels exciting to me to explore. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of really interesting stuff in this world of like disability and, you know, X, you know, whether it's disability in writing, disability in art, technology, media, like there's a lot of really interesting work happening right now. And it feels like one of these, like, it's kind of been like a neglected identity in a way. Like there's been a lot of mainstream public attention put to like, you know, race as a marginalized identity and like all the kind of awesome things that are happening around different um, different ethnicities, right? Like different subgroups. But like the idea of like blind thought, like what does that even mean? Or like that's such like a counterintuitive idea for people. But like I really discovered like an intellectual tradition of blind thought that goes back really far that is like very, very active and exciting in the US and around the world right now. So I mean, it's that, it's like it's access to that community. And it's just like, I mean, the thing about blindness is one artist, one blind artist I talked to, she was like, when I think about blindness, I think about problem solving. And like one of the threads that I picked up through the book and through the, the writing of it is like blind people are hackers. Like it doesn't matter if you're like a 75 year old, you know, blind person who's like not a computer whiz, like that person's a hacker too. Because, you know, all a hacker is, is like there's some problem and you got to figure out, you got to like grab some duct tape and, you know, figure out a way to solve it. And there's just so many example after example of like blind people and disabled people, like, you know, wheelchair users in the 40s, like distributing DIY magazines about like how to retrofit your wheelchair to fit into a van. You know, like there's just disabled people are are hackers. And uh, th- so that has been really exciting, like figuring out how I'm going to do that and just this community of other people who are doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, this was something that, that Chang and I were talking about before we got on the air today. Uh, well, right before you were on, we were talking about this guy, uh, Nikola Jokic, who, who just won the NBA finals. And we're talking okay. about how he's just like unexpectedly great because he's a fat boy <laughs> so he's a fat boy who happens to be the, <laughs> the best. greatest player in modern day nba <laughs> he's uh. a fat boy who happens to be the greatest nba player that I can't jump like honestly i can jump higher right chris can maybe run as quickly <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just you know he's been overlooked and written off as you know like not a source of greatness you know not a not a potential because he doesn't fit the mold of of what greatness where where beauty or greatness or potential can can come from. Mm-hmm. And Chang was asking me, like, 
who are writers or visual artists that nobody expected, like came out of nowhere, expected mm-hmm. something out of nowhere. And I was like, uh, I don't know. But like, you just said they're like example after example, example. And like, whether or not it's like a disability, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, can you off the top of your head, like who, where, where does like, the artist you were just talking about? Like, I think a lot of people would say, why would great visual art come from a blind person? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think that it comes from constraints, right? Like, I think that every creative person has this experience where there's a constraint, something goes wrong, you know, you, something gets lost, whether it's a financial constraint or like, you know, I don't know if you guys like, I'm just going to like torture a, a culinary metaphor, but you're like, I mean, it's the classic thing with cooking, right? You're like, all I got is like stupid toothpaste and some sherry and like 14 tamari almonds. Let's do this, you know? Uh, <laughs> And then that's how like the greatest cocktail of all time was formed. And I think it's the same thing with, with art. And, and I think disability really explicitly fits into that model where it's like, you know, this woman I was talking about, Emily Gassio, she was going to Cooper Union Art School in New York City. She had a hearing impairment, but uh, she had hearing aids. And then she got in this terrible bike accident and was totally blinded instantly, was in a coma for like a couple of weeks. And then when she woke up, she had to go through all this physical therapy and then she had to she like went to blindness school and learned braille and learned how to basically like live as a blind person and then she hit this crossroads and she was kind of like i'm going back to cooper union and she just like she she developed all these tactile techniques to feel basically to emboss paper to feel where the lines were and then you know feel where the pigment went and like labeled all these crayons and little envelopes with braille so she and then connected them to visual memories so it's like this was my dog's brown like this was the brown of my dog's fur and like brailed that put the brown crayon into a little envelope so that when she wanted that brown she could feel it you know and like yeah she has to work six times as hard as somebody who can just like casually riffle through a little bucket of crayons but you know i think her work is really visually beautiful and i think it comes from that like being forced to to deal with a, a constraint that's kind of exactly what you were talking about with Jokic, right? Like, if you have all the tools. Yeah, it's... it's Over the years, I've looked at a lot of cooks. I've been in a lot of different kitchens around the world. And you try to identify. And this is what I've given up on. I'm not given up. I would say, more often than not, people that are going to be super talented that you earmark, and it doesn't have to be in cooking, it could be any profession, literature, music, whatever. At some point, yeah, a group of them become successful. But again, I don't know the the statistic, but I find more often than not, if you are very talented and you are physically and mentally gifted at something, it oftentimes is an impediment to actually achieving greatness Hmm. because you've never had to think, you've never had to struggle, you've never had to learn to empathize outside of yourself because it's so easy for you. I mean, I think about all these great players that become coaches and sort of regardless of the sport, they become terrible coaches simply because they don't understand why you can't be awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why can't you do what I do? Mm-hmm. And I think that inability to make that connection, to see things differently is a hindrance. And again, I, I don't want to make this crazy statement, but I do. I think sometimes like I will take effort and I will take thought and I will take someone that cares over somebody that is talented any day of the fucking week. Mm-hmm. Because I think over the duration, the tortoise wins the race. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like Andrew, you just sort of said once you sort of, once you became more accepting of your blindness, like you went mm-hmm. from an editor to a writer. Yeah. You sort of found more 
to say. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I have a friend uh, who's a blind writer, Ryan Knighton, and he, he talks about blindness being not his subject, but his, his, like it's a perspective to write from. And I think, you know, I think that's, that's really powerful for me. And I think like there, I live, there's another expression I like, like happiness writes white. Like in other words, like if, if you're happy, you're writing with a white pen on white paper, like it's kind of like nothing to talk about, which I think is what you guys are saying. Like you need to have something, you know, th- th- that friction is what's interesting. And so like before, before I started really dealing with this, like, you know, I had some friction in my life, but it felt like the same friction that like every other schlub on the subway was going through, you know? And then this, this really, when I started thinking about it, I was like, actually, I, I haven't seen this book before, you know, like I haven't, these are these are really sticky questions for me that I also think might be interesting to other people. Yeah, and it really took blindness to to open that for me. Hunger, hunger, or not hunger. Happiness writes white is is really good. It's up there with another. I, I know it's not yours, but it's a Lelandism that I quote all the time, which was, uh, "Hunger is the best sauce." <laughs> makes, Very true. Makes the food taste the best. If, yeah, uh, I think Ed, Edward Abbey, maybe whatever. No, it's, it's an Andrew Leland Leland's. original. All right. The other, so I mean, just like to, to stay on the empathy thing for a second, you know, I mean, because like Chang, you're always sort of, you're always talking about this, right? Uh, uh, whether it's in the kitchen, anywhere, it's just like, it's, it's, can you empathize? Can you truly put yourself in another position? And I know, you know, Andrew, like, I know, like, one of the sort of exercises you talk about in the book is, you know, you still have vision. But you would wear the 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 double uh, eye patch, sleep shades, the sleep shades to sort of like emulate what it will be when you fully have no vision. But even yeah. then, you're you're resistant to it, right? You want to take them off. You hate you hate losing like that amount you have. Like, do you think it's against our nature? Like, we just don't we don't really want to empathize. We want to like hold on to like whatever we are at any given moment. Like, empathy is really hard. I think one of the central tenets in Buddhism and Eastern religions for the most part, and actually probably Christianity for that matter, is surrendering, right? You just have to accept the state of affairs and that Mm -hmm. like it is what it is and there's nothing you can really do about it. You cannot change certain things, Mm -hmm. but you can change how you think about things moving forward. Mm -hmm. And you can't think about things moving forward unless you accept the present or the past. Mm -hmm. I think not think that's fucking hard to do <laughs> yeah you know that's why people meditate so they're disconnected from themselves to some degree yeah when andrew was it hard for you to, to to like achieve what we're talking about like were you resistant to it yeah are you talking specifically about the sleep shade training or yeah just or just general? generally the bigger picture but well i mean the sleep shade training really was a powerful moment to like be like okay i'm scared about the, what the future might hold. Well, let's try it out. Cause I, w- I wore these things that completely block out all vision from 8 AM to 4 PM every day for like a month. And surrender is the right word for it. You know, cause if you don't surrender to it, then you're just like, well, I'm not getting out of this chair until 4 PM because like, how am I going to do anything? Right. But you have to be, they're all like, okay guys, we're all heading downstairs to Braille class now. And you're like, okay, I got to deal with that stairway now. Uh, you know, and, but then it's, it's wild because like after, you know, and everybody's different, but for me, it, it took like an hour and I was like, Let's go. Uh, you know, and I was still like, it was still really hard. I was still nervous about stuff, but like I was, I was rolling through the day. You know, we went out downtown, like doing street crossings. This was in Denver. Um, you know, and like the street crossing, like you're with a guy, he's blind too, by the way. Uh, he, the teacher, and he's like, okay, what do you hear? You know, what's in front of you? What's behind you? And it really like the powerful thing about it is like, it seemed, it, it, it feels like this giant 
magical thing where you're going to like have to become a blind wizard and like learn all these secret tricks. And there are like tricks, but ultimately it's about confidence. And it's just like, okay, you know what? This is not rocket science. Like I'm standing on a corner. I've been on this corner before. I hear the traffic surging to my left. Clearly that's the, that's the, my near side parallel traffic going East. I'm, I'm going to stand here for five minutes. I know what this traffic signal is doing. I'm ready. It's safe to cross. Let's go. You know, and it's still a leap of faith, but like after a while, it becomes the same way that you just live your life, right? You're like, the burner is on because I can feel the heat. Like I can hear the water boiling. I'm making pasta, you know? And like, yeah, it's kind of crazy to imagine that if you've never been blind or you've never worn sleep shades, like how you're going to cook pasta blind. But like the third time I did it, I was like, right, the water's boiling. Let's go. But Andrew, isn't it sort of like surrendering and then a choice, right? You can have a choice to actually fight the fight and like do things. Or you can use it as, you know, stress and use it as an excuse. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it like, you know, having done what I've done, which is like talk to hundreds of blind people, like there is that whole spectrum there. And there's people who use it as an excuse to, you know, stay home. And you have every right to make it an excuse, right? It's totally acceptable to have it as an excuse, I think, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you got to factor in all the factors, which is to say like the person who's staying home for 50 years, there's probably other things going on, right? It's not just the blindness that, because I think if you just isolate out blindness, that's not an, that's not a reason to stay home for 50 years, you know? And I think, I, I think, I think blind people should be out there doing stuff, you know? And, and I think I kind of, I mean, it's a political, it gets into like a political argument because there are blind people who are really hardcore in that way. And people who maybe take more of the position like, yeah, it's okay to stay home for 50 years. But like society has such low expectations for what blind people are capable of. Like to the point where it's like, wow, you tied your shoes, like good for you. And like, that's the thing that infuriates me. And like that I get on the street with my cane, even with the vision I do have where they're like, well, yeah, good for you being out here on the bus. You know and I'm like? No, like a 42 year old man. Like, <laughs> no. Uh, are there points yeah. where maybe somebody doesn't know you or they're behind you and, uh, or, you're behind them, but to some degree mm-hmm. that they don't know that you're blind or you're vision impaired, you have this disease, and they react like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And then they find out, they're like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Like, what? what is there what the fuck about it? I'm just trying to stay I mean, like, your question. you stepped on their toe, or you, you oh, kicked yeah, their yeah, dog yeah. by accident, <laughs> or, you know, you, you, you yeah. do something where you're like, you don't look like you're blind, and you do well, something that, you're like, what the fuck? Well, see, this is the beauty of the cane. This is like what I realized. Like I resist, the cane is like, talk about denial. Like this is a, such a common story. Every blind person who, every person who goes blind later in life, especially gradually has to go through this where you're like, am I really going to use the cane? Because like I said, like the minute you bring it out, the minute you unfold it, it's like night and day. It's just like people treat you so differently. It's like going out, I don't know. It's like going out as a man dressed as a woman or something, right? Or like, you know, any, any kind of analogy like that. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about it is like you kick somebody's dog, they're about to punch you. And then they see the white cane and the white cane instantly says to 99% of people, like he didn't see that dog. So give him a break. And, but I went around for a while without the cane. And that's when like, I almost got my ass kicked in bars. Cause I would like, actually it was like weirdly too. Like I, I, my friend told me like, oh yeah, she was like a top chef winner, but like she was out on a date with somebody and they both had like full beers in front of them. And I just like, saw a jukebox and I was like, Oh, I'm going to check out that jukebox. Not realizing that there was a table with two full beers on it between me and the jukebox. And just like, 
full like 180 pounds slam into that table two beers just like perfectly <laughs> dumped as a as if on strings like into their laps uh didn't have a cane and they must have thought i was like the drunkest frat guy asshole in the universe and and realistically i was because like when you're in denial as a blind person like you're making yourself into that mr magoo shithead and the beauty of the cane the power of the cane is that it it, it pushes you into being a blind person, which is that like my cane would have hit that table, right? Let, let alone the perception, like the cane would have given me information that I needed in that moment. Are we ever, is it possible that the reaction from the top chef person, it was the mm. wrong reaction, right? Like there's a lot of different scenarios. If you try to empathize that maybe mm. this person is going through something I don't know about. Maybe this person has a disease I don't know about, but are we ever going to get to a place where people are, are going to not jump to that conclusion immediately that this motherfucker is just drunk and he stepped on my toes and spilled a beer, you know? Right. Benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. Right. I mean, I, I, sometimes I think about it in terms of like, if you want real equality or equity, like you have to be able to call a blind person an asshole too. Right. Like I was being an asshole in that moment. Like I, I, you know, well, that's how Ying about. describes you. So don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. Above all, he's an uh, asshole. <laughs> no, but like I catch myself thinking this where I'm just like, you know, uh, my wife was mean to me. Like, doesn't she know I'm going blind? And then I catch myself and I'm like, no, like that's just like normal marriage shit and has nothing to do with blindness. And so I really like I'm strenuously trying to avoid that kind of like self pity that I think society encourages and i you know in my brain there's just all kinds of gremlins encouraging it and i just think it turns you into a a sad bad person to live like that and i have to say like yeah there's stuff that blindness makes harder but i'm not going to be like pity me and like i deserve extra you know accommodation is one thing right there's a difference between like give me extra snuggles and love and pity and like a, a free dump of beer in your lap card versus like equal access right like yes it's a human right uh, for me to access information. If you make an inaccessible website, like that's messed up that that you're just excluding me by virtue of your ignorance. But if I knock a beer in your lap because I'm drunk and not using my cane, that's on me, I think. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think I think that yeah, that's it's there's something between the two, right? Like you, Chang, we're like, can we? I mean, we're bad at it too, because our first assumption when somebody cuts us off on the freeway or whatever, you're not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, having ridden shotgun. With I this have guy. reached Nirvana, <laughs> and I can turn on my my outrage anytime. It's in, true. in full control. It's true. Somebody cuts us off of the freeway. Dave's immediately like, "I should send this person flowers. They're probably having a hard <laughs> hard day. It's probably, yeah. it's probably pretty bad." Let me. You know what? Let me try to follow them to wherever they're going, so I can apologize. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, there's something between can we all just uh, have give the benefit of the doubt and yeah, also like you know, Andrew, what you're saying, I think it's really interesting. Like, I'm I'm going blind doesn't mean I'm a saint. Like, I'm a I can be a prick too. Like, I can do stupid shit too, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's risky to make analogies with other identities, but I think if you, if you think about it, like being a woman, like. I don't think you want to say like, oh, you should be nice to her because she's a woman and women have been historically marginalized, right? Like, they're just a, she's just a person. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think blind people often get treated in this very, and disabled people in general, it's like, oh, like either you're very special and I'm like so sorry to hear that you're blind. And like, if you're trying to accept your blindness saying like, well, I'm so, it's like being like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you're, that you're American. Well, Andrew, like, what? Uh, you, if, you, if you put it in the context of a culinary awards, then you can. <laughs> you can't what do you mean? Award a female chef, best uh, female chef award because she's a female. So in that context, 
you can do that. We have a fucked. We live in a fucked up world, <laughs> Andrew, where there are still awards for female specific yeah. oh, really? chefs. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Time. Big yeah, time. I would not want a blind chef award, obviously, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the logic. <laughs> yeah. There's something okay, so there's you were you're talking about you talked about cooking a little bit, you talked about sort of getting better at honing in on okay, I obviously hear the traffic here, I obviously hear the water boiling and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is it frustrating that okay, first of all, there is no truth or there is some truth to the you know, I, I close my eyes, so now I can hear at a greater frequency. I can smell better. I yeah. see I see the Daredevil costume right there on the left. <laughs> like, have you Hold started on, from, gentlemen. I've got to fight a crime for a moment. Uh, is there, first, first, is there any truth to that, or is it just that you have started listening more closely? It's that. It's, 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 it, it, I think it appears that way, but really you're just using it more. And when you rely on something more, it's not like it gets louder, but it's like, you know, that signal to noise ratio, like you're just tuned into it better. Um, but it's not like you're, I don't think it's, you know, technically I'm not hearing something at 10 decibels that you're only hearing at 20 decibels, right? It's more just like I'm paying attention more in that context because I'm using that information more. And you would too, if you were wearing sleep shades or sitting in the dark and had to. I mean, this is exactly the, the Jokic thing, right? Like, yeah. I'm about to ask something that I don't think anybody's ever asked a, a blind <laughs> He's person. Got the, he has oh, the smile. He has the smile ready to go. It's already happening. Uh, no back now. Now uh, is it about sex? Is that what you're talking? So about? when you watch a movie like The Last John Wick Four, where the protagonist <laughs> is a blind, chose to go blind oh. out of fealty to his boss. Right, so he could get out of the omerta, whatever they call it, excommunicado, whatever, whatever. And I'm not seeing this and movie. and Go and on. yet he still, so, while blind, can still dodge bullets, you know, do all the martial arts, the daredevil guy, the, the daredevil. you know, daredevil stuff. Yeah, yeah. When you see something like that, you're like, for fuck's sake! Like, is this, or is he like, yeah, oh, that's possible? Or you're like, that's you impossible. How realistic it is? Yeah. Or what I mean is like, well, yeah, I can aspire to that. Do you, I mean, do you see Daredevil do... as a model to aspire to? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite not just Daredevil. Like Andrew. anybody that goes blind and they become a fucking action superstar. But Daredevil's got to be, yeah. Daredevil's annoying because it's like, even though he's blind, he can still, right? Or what is it? There's like a trope, and it's not just blindness, but it's called the super crip. And it's like very common, you know, from John Wick to Daredevil to like, you know, there's many examples. And I think it's this idea that like, you know, your disability makes you into a superhero, basically. And I think people get annoyed with it. I don't personally feel super annoyed with it, but I think people think it's a bad thing because it like, it's like, it's like what we were saying before about disability not being a normal identity. It's like either something that makes you a tragedy or it makes you into a superhero. But under no circumstances can you just be a dude who's mm-hmm. like got a job and a family and whatever. And so I think that's the problem with it. Uh, when I think about your question, I, you know, <laughs> there are... Don't give it too much thought, Andrew. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, legitimately, it's like, people. oh, shit. Like, I, I mean, I could work towards that. Right. Look, that's what I feel when I watch Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, I'm but like when like, I watch I Star Wars, uh, you know, Donnie plays the same sort of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Here's my version of that. Like, I'm 42 and I'm like, you know, not even... I'm still in low vision land, but I've been hanging out with all these blind people in particular, blind people who have been blind from birth and they 
sometimes have abilities that I feel like as hard as I'll ever work on my blindness skills, I'll never get. Like reading Braille as fast as I can read print. Like that's wild to me. Or like using echolocation is sort of like the most John Wicky thing that blind people do, I think. Where like there's this guy, Daniel Kitsch, who can like make little clicking sounds with his mouth while he rides a bike and like actually ride a bike Wait. and like can tell that there's trees and stuff. That's real. Whoa. Uh, and like neuroscientists have looked at brain scans of his and seen his visual cortices light up as and he's he been blind from birth. Does it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I don't think I'm ever going to get that. Like, I listen to too much, <laughs> like, I watch too many punk shows. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I have a sort of a inability to see certain things myself, like asking questions that I shouldn't ask. Yeah. You do have a, you do have a, social, <laughs> a certain social blindness that echolocation cannot help you navigate. <laughs> Can I click my way through this conversation? I just had to ask that. I was like, I, I bet you nobody's ever asked that That's before. a good question. I like right? that question. Because that's how blind people, for the most part, these very popular films are portrayed. Totally. Yeah. Martial it's either that, arts and that, that goes back to Yeah. <laughs> that, and that goes back to like Tiresias, like in Greek myth, where he's like this blind seer who, even though he's blind, he can tell the future. And that's a that's a classic, classic trope in, in our civilization. And I think, you know, in some ways it's it's nice because it's like the blind person's doing interesting stuff. In some ways it makes it's like more exoticization, right? It makes the blind person into a freaky, mystical weirdo instead of just like a hero of a story, which is which they never are. What is the uh, whether it's like in in how blindness is depicted or just in how blindness is treated? What is the what are what are your sort of top like? We were, we've been talking about this a little bit. Like, would you just stop doing this type of uh, mm. moments? Um, I mean, to me, it's like just like the horror tragedy of just like, you know, like the sad, the very sad friend, um, you know, like, like, like scent of a woman is an interesting movie. Cause it's like, you know, Pacino is kind of a badass, you know, and he like is driving the Ferrari or whatever, but like the real message of that movie is like, he is suicidal because of his blindness. And mm -hmm. then like the plucky boarding school kid, like teaches him that there's more to life. And, you know, so I think I think it's just Can that I say, sense of I like, think he's yeah. a horrible fucking person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's I'm not defending. <laughs> horrible fucking human being. <laughs> I, I didn't mean badass like, you know, I aspire to him like you aspire to, <laughs> to be, be a like, to be a Lothario. Uh, but you know, it could be worse. Like he's at least like he's Pacino, right? Like he's got some swagger to him, which is better than a lot of depictions of blindness where it's just well, like that was sexless. gonna be my next question, Andrew. Are you gonna be able yeah. to yell better? Like Pacino. My hoo-ahs are, I think, equally good. I did it. I went yeah. there. You can't, I can't believe I did it. <laughs> the level of question is un it's unbelievable. unbelievable. No, this is good discourse. I'm enjoying it. Keep, it, keep them coming. Keep them coming. Lightning round. Uh, I, have an, I have an unrelated question to, to the book, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll permit me here. Andrew's son was reading chapter books at three. Fuck this. <laughs> is Oscar just come on? Just is there any is there any advice you can give us, or was Oscar just ridiculous? Here's what I'll say: We had an iPad. I was some person I knew from high school who I hadn't talked to in a long time. You know, was on Facebook, and I was just like, I need. I, I wasn't trying to get him to read. I was just like, I want to, you know, work. What do I do to stick this kid in front of an iPad? And it's interesting because lately there've been there's been all this news about the science of reading, right? I had no idea, but we were act, I accidentally downloaded a, like a very science of reading app called Endless Alphabet, hmm. and it does that where it's like not about like teaching the contextual words. You just like grab an A 
And as soon as you like touch your finger to the A, it's like, ah, 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 and you like, and it turns all anthropomorphic. It's like a crazy A guy. And then you drag it onto like an outline of an A. And then you like gradually spell words that way. So it's just like phonics in your face. And like, that's what all the recent news is about is like phonics is the way to go. So I think I accidentally gave him like higher hardcore phonics immersion from a very young age with an iPad. Or and I felt you're really fucking bad smart about it. and you passed on those genetics. <laughs> <laughs> or my wife is. Yeah, exactly. I think it's more the latter. It is, it is true. It is true. When I look at when I look at the differences between you and us, I'm like, well, we have iPads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you were downloading the wrong. You were downloading Cookie Monster Challenge. Also a fun game on the iPad for the little guy. But it doesn't have the phonics. Cookie Monster Challenge for me. I put that behind the, the firewall for the kids. Yeah. Is that a thing? No. Cookie, yeah, it is. He goes, there's one part where he goes, no, touch it. Or I thought that was a good Dikembe Mutombo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what else is happening for the, so the book is out July 20, 25th. 5th. Yep. Yep. And uh, are you are you doing a tour? Are you what are you doing? I'm appearing time? in various places, Los Angeles, uh, in conversation with Rachel Kong, who I think you know. We know a little uh, bit of Rachel Kong at Romans in Pasadena. I'm going to San Francisco to Green Apple Books. I'm going to give Rachel some questions to ask. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll just have like a John Wick uh, symposium. <laughs> Could we do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 style John Wick viewing with you and Rachel? I would I would show up for that. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Absolutely. Uh, Got anything else? No, we should come in the studio. Come to the studio. Come see us. Come hang out. And uh, Dave will cook for you. That would be tremendous. Oh, I do have have more. Yeah. No, I do have one more question for you. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about something ridiculous. (laughs) Listen, he's about to go on tour. I know. And every single person is going to ask him the same bullshit. Yeah, yeah, Same bullshit. Let's start him off with a good, (laughs) funny note. Well... (laughs) So we've been talking a lot about experiential restaurants as, as, as sort of like mm. things go in, in the culinary world, like the middle is being cut out. So it's the high end, the low end. And mm-hmm. like, can you offer something else other than something anybody can, can get anywhere? Yeah. But obviously one of the classic mm. experiential restaurants is the eating in the dark thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, incredibly offensive. The stupidest thing in the world. Where, where are we on? Uh, fake blind restaurants. It was started by a blind guy, uh, like a like a blind pastor in in like Austria or something, like Blindeke, uh, which is like means like blind cow in German, which is like their version of pin the tail on the donkey. And he did it to like increase empathy for blind people. And I think people do come out of those restaurants in some cases being like, damn, like now I've actually thought about like how they do it. Cause like that, that's what happens. People see you see a blind person on the street and you're like, how do you put your clothes on? How do you eat? Like, how do you wipe your butt? You know, and like you go to one of those restaurants for two hours and you're like, oh, okay. Like the fork goes into the meat and then it goes to my mouth. And like, it's not rocket science, you know? And so I do think it's an empathy builder. Also, I interviewed a guy who worked at the um, Dans Le Noir, which was like a, it's a chain. I think there's one in like London and Zurich or whatever, but there was a New York City one for a little while that just got just beaten up in the food press because it was really badly run, I think. Anyway, but this guy, and they, they hire blind people to be the servers and blind people are chronically underemployed, like 70% unemployment rate. So this is like actually a good gig for a blind person. And this guy, Adam Lynn, who, who's still in New York, who had great stories about working with his blind team of servers in this restaurant. Um, just like, they, they sounded awesome. And like he, one of his colleagues, like, you know, she was also working another job, but she like got enough money to put a down payment on a, condo in the Bronx from working at Don's Lenore. You know, so I think that's huge. I do think that 
in general, disability simulations are not great. And like going to a dining in the dark restaurant for an hour or like putting on sleep shades for five minutes and being like, whoa, blindness sucks. Like, I think it, it doesn't always create empathy. It's just like, this would suck, you know? And like, that's the takeaway people have. And, you know, it's fair. Like if you're sighted and all of a sudden you have no skills and you're trying to do something blind, it does suck, but it doesn't have anything to do with the reality lived experience of like a person who's been blind for 20 years, who's like dialed it in and like their life does not suck. And it's bad for people to think that their life sucks and it creates all sorts of problems. So it's a mixed bag, I guess. Is this... Th- this is a hereditary disorder. Yeah. Eyes. So this has been yeah. happening in your family forever. No, it's generally, it's like classified as a genetic, genetic disease. And like they found the gene mutation that I have, but I have, I can't find it in my family. And there's, um, there, the jury is out about whether I have passed it on. I'm trying to keep my voice down. My kid might be listening through the door, but yeah, we haven't gotten tested to find out if he has it or not. But rather my wife hasn't been, if, if she has the, the gene then there's a chance he does. If she doesn't, there's like 0.1% chance. Hmm. Hmm. Um, man, I love talking to Andrew. It's been too long. You got to come to the studio. Yeah. We're going to cook for him. You come. Absolutely. <laughs> what are you eating these days, Andrew? Your diet has, we've, we've gone through, uh, phases of, of life where I think there was, there was a period where you were vegan and there was a period yeah. where we just ate, whoa, 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 where we whoa, just whoa, ate whoa, burritos. We're and talking s- to one of those guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. Then it was I'm followed out, by a I'm period out, of, of just cigarettes and burritos. <laughs> the only <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> there was that period. I recently started lifting weights and it like gave me a new relationship with protein. Now I'm just like, Hey, it's four fifteen. time for three hard boiled eggs. <laughs> Uh, so like, that's the stage I'm in right now. Like, Oh, is that a piece of chicken? I smell, you know, so I'm eating a lot of meat and cheese and eggs and vegetables. Amazing. All right. Uh, well, um, where can people find your tour, your book tour? Uh, andrewleland.org is my website. I will put the links of the book tour events. You're.org. Can I, Andrew, do you know that Ying has held on to andrewlewin.com for years? <laughs> <laughs> You're the one. You're the one. Well, now that the book is coming out, the price is going up, my friend. So I'm sorry. I had a hippie webmaster who I was like, hey, make me a website. And he's like, You're going to want andrewlewin.org. And I was like, All right, do it. I don't care. <laughs> you being a human 501c3, just yeah, exactly. get that.org. You know, it's all about empathy, right? People are going to Andrew Leland because I'm a, I'm a, you know, Friendly You're an blind org. guy. Yeah. <laughs> All, All blind right. people should have dot I feel like th- this is going to last time we had somebody on, the book did really well. I didn't want to curse. Yeah, we you. got we have to because we're tiger parenting him, Andrew. <sighs> okay. we, we are tiger parenting you because the last time we had an author, the they set the bar pretty pretty high. So Andrew, I didn't want to curse you, but Dave's making me do this. Yes. But uh, I am gonna say. The last author we had on the pod a few months ago was one Kwasu. And, and, and they launched their book tour with us. Oh, he, snap. He launched his book, and then he came and had sat at the counter at the kitchen studio, and Dave cooked for him, and he went on to uh, win a little prize. little prize. The Pulitzer. The Pulitzer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Same. did I do, like, do I need to do more Hwasui and things? Like, yeah, do something Hwasui. Just talk about an obscure yeah. band. So, yeah. <laughs> talk about pavement. Um, yeah, I feel like we're going to have you in the studio. But I'm saying this book smells juicy. It does smell juicy. It does smells smell juicy. Do you? I'm surprised you guys didn't ask me about Pornhub Cares, Pornhub's philanthropic arm that does audio description of 
It's, you know, so, just find my charity that I can support. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to pornhubcares.org. Uh, okay, let's actually, let's, without going too deep, like yeah. audio, like you're a podcaster, as are mm-hmm. we. We're podcast mm-hmm. people. <laughs> no. So you know how you've become more accepting of your identity as, as, as blind. Yes. Chang and I are, are still deep in denial of being podcasters. It's the word. It's the word. <laughs> the Pods, word is really bad. bad. It's, is podcaster worse than foodie? I don't no, think so. podcaster is better yeah. than celebrity chef. Yeah, celebrity chef. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to be a podcaster and a celebrity chef, that oh. is a rough life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah. there is like more, there's more content audio-wise than there was 10, 15 years ago, right? Like, and, oh, and yeah. Porn it's Hub a Cares golden age. Good Do time I, to be blind, can for I, sure. Not only that, but like ebooks are great for blind people. Because, you know, in the old days, like if you were a college student, you would have to hire a human being and be like, I got to read like Nietzsche. And they're like, okay, Nietzsche, page one. And then just read the whole damn book to you. <laughs> and then eventually there was like audio recording technology where like that person would read Nietzsche recording so you could listen to it again. But like a lot of times the volunteers, you would hear them like burping or like their wife being like, Larry, get the fucking cat out of here. You know, and they're like trying to read Nietzsche. And every time you like read page 72, it's like, Larry, get the fucking cat out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now you've got like commercial audio books to the horizon and you've got screen readers. So like if you just give me a Word doc or a PDF or whatever, I can just have my computer read that to me in a robot voice or now like in the age of GPT and, and you know, synthetic voices, it can basically be like, you know, Joe Biden reading it to me if I want. And it sounds like a commercial like, audio book. Jill, get the fucking dog out of here. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have to. Okay, I'm sorry. You, 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 you baited the hook and I have to, I have to bite like. Mm-hmm. Is Pornhub cares? Is it just people describing what is happening in a visual porn, or is it a like original like audio first medium? They have both. Pornhub cares is they take an existing porn video and it's like you know Jack is a you know twenty three year old blonde you know and they they just go from there. But then there is like audio porn, which is not doesn't have anything to do with Pornhub, where it's people who are you know audio first, like you say, Corey. Can we look into a new sponsor? <laughs> Porn, Pornhub cares. Right. Yeah, they can do. We can, a, they can do instead of the, for our pod, where it's just like ad reviews. We can say, <laughs> two, two large Asian men walk into a into a podcast studio. A pulsating, rigid <laughs> member. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Yoza. Oh my god! And yeah, I'm I'm just happy that we're looking at. We're just calling it right now. He's going to win a Pulitzer. Okay. Bring All it right. home. Let's wow. do it. Bring Andrew, it home, if you don't guys. do it, we're not talking to you anymore. <laughs> You're basically the committee, right? You, you got this, there's like one other person. Don't ruin committee. our record. Okay. <laughs> we take true. full responsibility for Hua's Pulitzer and we are now proclaiming the future Pulitzer that you I are going to win. I appreciate you. This is the, I appreciate this that is the secret. Much. We're willing it. We're willing yeah. it to happen. This is how you do it. Yeah. You want to know how Hua did it? This is how. <laughs> and we killed a virgin. <laughs> Sacrificed a virgin. Virgin goat. <laughs> uh, uh, grateful. Anything Very else grateful. you want to add, Andrew, before we let you go? Um, no, this has been extremely fun. Uh, yeah, and if I come into your to your kitchen there, I can share more weird cooking blindness facts with you then, maybe. And by then, Chris will have at least 15 hours of Pornhub Cares audio <laughs> recorded. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, we can do a screening. I'm bad. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm bad at describing things, so it's not going to be very enticing. Uh, some guy's here, and he's walking over there. Yeah, I'm going to watch John Wick tonight. I think I've never seen it. You've you've 
you got to watch four because Donnie, who also plays a very similar character in um, Rogue, Rogue One, one yeah. all right. Do I have to watch one through three first? No, 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 no. Okay. You, you, I don't know how much to convey you, how how little you have to watch one through three to watch four. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Very unnecessary. Postmodern. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Andrew. All right. Yep. Talk to you guys later. Well, that was Andrew. Check out his book. What was the title? The Country of the Blind, a memoir at the end of sight. And, uh, uh if you buy it, you can now hold this over all your friends when he does win a Pulitzer being like, You're see, I, I, I told you, right? That's what we've been doing with everybody with Hua's book. Legitimately, legitimately, I recommended it to people and they were like, whatever, you just had him on the pod. And then he won a Pulitzer and I said, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. What's the point of having friends if you can't tell them fuck you? Um, but yeah, there, there was a lot to think about. Also, I think it really ties in what we were talking about, uh, talking with uh, KOC on the Joker about, you know, not necessarily getting superpowers, but maybe over-indexing on what we think are traditional means of, you know, normalcy or strengths, per se. Right. And if you, if you don't have the traditional set of strengths, learning, building new skills, right, which is the, the Jokic thing you were talking about. If he was 20% faster, would he have the court vision? All right. Let's take a break. I wanted to talk about a couple things before we get you out of here. Um, one is we're sort of entering, I'd say now that on the West coast, I know in the East coast, it's definitely sort of peak soft shell crab season, May, late April, May, depending on the weather. And I was at a restaurant. It wasn't seasonal per se, but they were definitely like people excited about a soft shell crab. And I think I've gone full circle here on the full. I used to love it. I've cooked a lot. And now I'm not the biggest fan of soft shell crabs. Number one, if you cook them on the line, they're, um, they're bombs. They're ticking time bombs. Because they are usually fried. Yeah, they're, they're for sure, you're going, if you're cooking the line and you are in charge of soft shell crabs and you are pan frying them, or if, even sometimes if you have a tabletop fryer, for certain, you're going to have some burns that are going to last some time on your arms, your neck, whatever, because they explode. You know why they explode? They're mostly water. <laughs> um, throw throwing, some water in a fryer and see what happens. You're throwing a water balloon into a fryer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've cooked a lot of soft shell crabs in my life. And, you know, we used to, you keep them alive and then you <laughs> clean them while they're alive. Take the gills out because they deteriorate pretty fast. Um, but I got to say, when I think about it, I don't want to eat a whole crab. <laughs> when you start to think about it, you're like, why? I don't ever want to eat all the insides of a crab. With a hard shell. With a hard shell. Now, it's delicious. Yeah. I'm just popping the whole thing in. Yeah. And you really, it's not, it's not delicious to me when I start thinking about it more. I mean, listen, if it served me, fine, I'm going to eat it. But it's one of those things as I've gotten older, the more I think about it, the less I'm like, no, I'm not excited it, about it. Is it a little, like. Are, I know that is sacrilegious to a lot of people. But is it a little bit of the appeal, do you think, is just the novelty? No, there's something special about it. I think it is very similar to the East Coast ramp situation or 
you know, you see this on a lot of menus. It even happens on sort of more climate uh, friendly areas like California. Asparagus to me is the signifier of spring. Sure. <laughs> what people don't realize, asparagus season does not line up with spring. spring. <laughs> it's like the Easter bunny. Mm-hmm. It's a fictitious thing. So there are restaurants that have local things, but you are importing Peruvian asparagus to match up with the spring right. illusion. Right. Um, but soft shell crabs to me, listen, I, I used to like them. I'm just at a place where I don't like them because I don't want, I don't like the tech. I just would rather eat a hard shell crab. Well, when I say is like, is it a novelty? It's, I think what you arrived is like, I can eat this whole crab, but wait, do I want to? I would probably be more pro social crab right now. If I saw people eat the entire crab. What do you mean? What are you seeing? Like they just eat. No, no, no one's eating oh, like the innards. And, I see what you mean. I, oh, of, of any crab generally. I see. Like when you eat a social crab, you are eating. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a dumb question. Is a softshell crab just a blue crab that has molted recently? Is that the idea? This is a whole nother maybe edible, like, we should do an Ask Dave after dark. Because oh, now I'm like, maybe, maybe selfish. It's like just eating bugs. They're literally just like bugs. Anything mm-hmm. that has an exoskeleton, they, they shed it. Oh, man. Every, you know? every Ask Dave after dark ruins something else for me. <laughs> Lose so I'm like a item. lobster is like eh, it's, it's, just a, it's really just a bug a, a sea bug it's a sea bug right a langoustine it's just a sea bug shrimp it's just a sea bug so it makes me think maybe should I be eating a huge cricket would that be delicious well so okay so is it is it just the idea of eating soft shell crab that is being ruined for you or are you is it like I don't actually like the taste I don't like the texture and I, I just find it to be sort of comical that it is this fetishized thing in the springtime that mm-hmm. everyone needs to have in a sandwich or it's even on pastas or whatever. Um, <laughs> like price gets jacked up on something for something that they're eating components of the soft shell crab that nobody for the most part would ever eat in a hard shell. Mm-hmm. I just find it to be funny. To me, it's not the same. But I feel similarly about, like, baby corn. <laughs> I'm just like, why do you want to eat that whole stupid thing? I think that's a very different thing. But, I, like, why would you want to eat it? The texture isn't good. I think that I think baby corn's delicious. You think baby corn's delicious? I do. Wow. Because I, you, you can't eat the whole agree. thing. Do you think baby corn? Because you can eat the whole thing? That's counter to your different. Corn. It doesn't have guts. It's got a cob. cob, thing, it, cob doesn't, it doesn't have guts. a consciousness. You can't prove that. <laughs> so, no, I, I I, I just find it to be funny. I think soft-shell seafood. For a long time, I wanted to eat a soft-shell lobster. I remember. I'd be like, God damn it, I just want a soft-shell lobster. Wait, as a theoretical thing, or does that exist? It does exist, oh, like but they're not mold- soft enough oh. uh, to eat. You can have a soft-shell lobster, but I, listen, I'm not a lobster expert, but people say that the meat's not as delicious from a hard shell. But... The thing is this, if you were able to eat a lobster soft shell that had the same texture of a crab, blue crab, would people eat a whole lobster? No. There, there's my <laughs> point. <laughs> it's totally they, ridiculous. They wouldn't. It's true. How did it become a thing? Yeah, I don't know why the soft shell crab is a thing. It's, it's okay, but 
texturally, are you somebody who, in those occasions where they'll be like, eat the whole shrimp? It's because it's small or whatever with the shell on and everything. Do you enjoy that or not? I do it because I enjoy the flavor of it. Mm -hmm. And shrimp heads are delicious. I just, to me, especially growing up in Virginia and the East Coast, like people, maybe less so on the West Coast, Mm -hmm. have this thing for soft shell crabs. If it's on a menu, it is catnip for a specific group of people. Yeah, I know that specific group of people. They also like halibut. <laughs> they like the cape. <laughs> they love their burrata. <laughs> they love burratas everywhere. I mean, that's a holy grail, right? Burrata sashel crab salad. <laughs> oh, man. You might, you might as well 86 it. Roll. <laughs> you might as well 86 it right now. <laughs> so, no exception to this rule? For you, the new rule. I'll eat it if it's in front of me. I'm going to eat it, but I just, I just think it's overrated. I just wanted to say that I wanted to get off my chest. I think social crabs are overrated, and all you haters come at me. You can say, "Oh, this fucking guy doesn't know how to eat pho." I told you, motherfuckers, I'm going to fuck this up. Because guess what? I don't have the patience to do the, you know, little dab of stuff and you dip it in, and I can't. Oh, from our from our Vietnamese food excursion. Yeah. yeah. I Fuck told it. people, it's I was like, such bullshit. it's coming, it's going into my gullet. It's all going to be mixed in there. I'm looking to eat this as fast as possible. And again, when I eat pho with my wife, she looks at me like she has to divorce me <laughs> because I eat it like a, a total idiot. Yeah. But I do that not because I haven't gone through the phase of trying to eat it properly in the traditional way. I want to eat it as fast as possible. Yeah, And I understand that it's not the way you're supposed to do it. Right. But it's not like I'm eating a hamburger upside down like Chris Yang. <laughs> it's actually... It's not like getting a piece of pizza and eating the crust first. It's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For the record, I want to be clear. I do eat burgers upside down. I do not eat pizza crust first. So let's not start that. That's not a thing I do. It is inefficient to flip the burger upside down and go that way, I've realized. It's so dumb. We were supposed to talk about experiential restaurants and and what the the, the definition is, but we were running long, um, mainly because it took a long time to get Andrew to talk about blind superheroes. <laughs> so not us. We had to build a rapport so that we could hit him with the hard stuff. Um, thank you, KOC, for dropping your NBA knowledge, and we need to have him back on. And I would think the whole Ringer universe. More, they more. Should, they, look, come on. Whether they want to come on ours, that doesn't matter. Yeah. We'll We're, talk to your boss, Bill Simmons. <laughs> you have to come on. Yeah. Um, give us five stars and uh, we'll talk to you later.